Hey, there's a few curse words in today's episode, so if you have kids in the car or anyone around who you don't want to hear that, this is your warning. Hey everyone, if you pay attention to the advertising or commercial production world, you'd have noticed over the last few years that a small agency from Chattanooga, Tennessee has quietly been climbing the ranks of AdAge's annual agency A-list awards. That agency or brand production studio is Humanaut. You're about to hear from a few of the awesome personalities that make them so good at what they do, because today we're talking to Tommy Wilson and Dan Jacobs as they share some of the secret sauce that makes Humanot one of the top 10 agencies in the country. A garden of pure ideology. Yeah, just your typical Super Bowl car ad. Or a hilarious beer ad. <laughs> Break was over 15 minutes ago, Mitch! I think you look best ever. Look out. Back up. Where are you? You're in the bush. Well, how am I supposed to know? I've never been there. I don't always drink beer, but when I do... Wanna play, Bob? I think we're gonna be here a while. I'm sorry for the lag. I, I spent like most of my... pretty much burned most of my day fighting with the internet company because they just went down oh. today for no reason, so pretty inconvenient but thanks i didn't i didn't want to i know you guys are really busy so i was like i'm just gonna have to risk it <laughs> see if we can That's do the good. best we can so I, I think we'll have like a half a second delay but it's good it'll make me be patient and not ask you a million questions it'll be good it'll, it'll make us nervous about well, what your reaction to our answers is <laughs> <laughs> oh shit well, uh, that, that, that wasn't what he was looking for that wasn't we we fucking blew it <laughs> well so by by this point when people are listening, I will have already introduced and bragged on you guys, but just to identify your voices, uh, Tommy, can, can you say, Hey, so that they can identify your voice. Yeah. Hi, I'm Tommy Wilson. It's smooth and, like chocolate. <laughs> and uh, Dan, 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 this yeah. is, this is, it, this is my voice. And or this Tommy, is my voice. <laughs> you're uh, Tommy, you're more in the producer role, correct? Well, we both, we both are in a producer role or sort of like one person uh, or one evil villain superhero on any given day. I, my job is much more like uh, logistics, time and money, back office. Um, and Dan facilitates a lot more of the creative that's just like way out of my wheelhouse. That's not true. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's mostly true, but yes. Dan, we, have, like, we have a concentric circle. Yeah of like things that we both care about, like how we're going to, how we're going to achieve production excellence with no money. Yeah. And I, I, so it's my job. So I look at it as like, I'm the executive producer creative. He's the executive producer logistics is a nice way of saying it. And basically I'm yeah. just here, I'm here to keep, because we're an in-house production company. I'm here to keep the, um, the creative vision uh, through the production process. And so helping to outline, like translating some of the more aspirational things in the scripts and the creative into very practical, pragmatic things. And that's where Tommy and I work uh, literally just side by side, trying to figure out like how we know we need to make this, this is the most important part of this creative. Like this is like, non-negotiable this is the thing that we need to base everything else on this is where the money goes this is where the money goes and that's where like tommy comes like okay that's where we're spending the money and we'll sacrifice money 
everywhere else. So like, is this a camera crew execution thing where we got to throw all our money at cameras and people, robots, like that tech. And then we'll sacrifice on maybe we're getting friends and family talent. Like we're not doing traditional casting and we're maybe we're getting like uh, stealing locations or we've never steal a location, but yeah, we'd steal a location. Um, so it's sort of like that. It was just a cast heavy thing. Like, okay, we're throwing all our money. Like this cast needs to be everything. And then we're not going to get all the bells and whistles. This is going to be on a tripod and um, maybe we'll use some of our up and coming talent. Like we'll, we'll bring up people uh, you know, to give them their shot as a DP. So we're not paying uh, necessarily somebody that has a huge resume, but we're kind of given experimenting with some young talent. Dan uses an analogy a lot of times when we're trying to explain how we're both executive producers, but not, uh, he's, he's more of a doula, a creative doula. And I'm more like a creative midwife. You know, we're just birthing this thing. And we've got all these fun analogies. <laughs> like, a, like the accounts person might be tender in that situation. Yeah. Uh, sparking daddy's eye. <laughs> so this, this whole thing to not to like make it about us, but it's been fun. Cause we, we, so the, the company I produced for film cry, we were just like, I was complaining as I often like to do. And I was like, I can't find information on anybody, man. How do you do this stuff? Cause they brought me home from production in LA and I was like, cool, commercial filmmaking, easy peasy. Let me just see how other people do it. And that's just not really out there. Um, uh, not, it's not easy to find, but so it, it's been fun to talk to people who are excited to talk about it. So again, I appreciate you guys so much talking totally. about it. Uh, Dan, you were talking about DPs. Uh, do you remember Lance Coons? Cause he's the one who told me about you guys. Oh, really? Oh yeah. 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 Like yeah. I've been soft stalking you since 2017, I believe. Uh, cause I was nice. like doing my spreadsheets of like who, who the best people are. And Lance was like, yeah, I know these cool guys, Humanot and, and, uh, Obviously, what you're, I, I became kind of smitten with you because I was like, Chattanooga, Tennessee. I was like, wait, they're, they're making it work from there because there's the, yeah, quote, have to go to New York thing. It looks really, you guys make it look really good. And to sing your praises awkwardly to your face for a second, uh, I did see you on Ad Age in 2017, where you were one of the regional small agencies of the year. And now you guys are just, just top 10, just blank. Top 10. And right at number 10 is perfect. <laughs> we were right. We snuck right into that 10 for the Pirates. Oh, it feels good. Yeah. And I have, I have a lot of things I'd love to know about your process and stuff, but uh, I know you're joking about, you know, just riffing and talking while I'm quiet, but I, I would love <clears throat> to hear what makes you guys, you, what makes Humanot, Humanot. I mean, your website and everything is so clean and self-explanatory that that's all there. So I could just say, go to Humanot website to see it but obviously i want to hear you talk about it because i'd like to know like what, what's been the driving force behind all this because you guys are really cool looking i mean i don't are you don't even call yourself agency or production company on your you're just human art i think creative just, agency is where they where they've landed T titles in general are, are strange here we make a lot of them up everybody's a producer of sorts like we call our accounts people brand producers, we call our project managers, creative producers. Somebody's producing something constantly. I, I used to be offended by it because I was like technically the only producer on staff. And I was like, well, I guess everybody's a producer now. <laughs> <laughs> well, now everybody's a producer. But because of, uh, so I guess I'll back it up. When I moved here from Nashville specifically for this job, first was the draw of Chattanooga. I was coming to Chattanooga for all sort of the 
the outdoor activities and uh, spending a lot of weekends here. And I, my wife, now wife and girlfriend and I were just like, it would be cool to move there. Nashville's kind of, we're kind of over it. And uh, you could just tell the culture here was starting to blossom. Like there's a lot of artists, very post-industrial town, um, you know, like a lot of logistics, but the internet was so fast. Uh, we have the gig, we're called Gig City, or we're probably still, had the fastest internet <laughs> in the nation for a minute. And that, so that attracted all these oh, startups wow. and young, yeah. And so I was like, it's probably a good time to insert myself. And I got really lucky. I'm not, I don't like advertising. I never thought I'd work at an agency coming from a production background, but Humanot's mission in the ethos is so in line with what I care about. Like it's, we typically try to work with brands that are better for people, better for the world. Uh, we don't try to push any bullshit on people. Um, so David, the co-founder, David Littlejohn of, of Humanot, it's really his brainchild. He, he wanted to bring production in house to sort of bring the overhead down from hiring a tr traditional production company and to make it local and to really put all that, that the budget in front of camera because he, he cares very much about the creative and about the messaging and making it really good and maximizing his, uh, you know, then very small, still not huge budgets. Um, so, and Dan's from here and he, he's, he's, he goes back further than me and working with David and Humanot, he's directed most of the early stuff. Most of the stuff that we've ever produced, Dan is, directed outright or uh, from the shadows. <laughs> but yeah, that's it all started as sort of this way to put all the dollars in front of camera and use whatever resources we could locally to uh, to make good content, you know, which is increasingly hard. Things aren't viral like they used to be. It's, it's really gotta be, it's gotta be disruptive, but in a, a positive way. People have to, like you're feeding people shit with an ad, interrupting their day. And they want to, you have to like make them want to watch that, you know, within seconds. Yeah. It's, I think it's, it's really kind of coming out of David Littlejohn's, that David Littlejohn is humanot for a lot of, for all intended purposes. I mean, like when, when he just, he's the reason we're back in Chattanooga, um, he moved that back here from, well, I guess we'll go to beach technically, but he was, you know, Crispin Porter Bogusky copywriter and had done, had continued working with uh, Alex Bogusky on some just freelancing. Like he did some soda stream stuff, Super Bowl work. And I think he was working out of his uh, living room when his wife was like, you need to get out of the fucking house. Um, and there was Chattanooga at that time. He got a 800 square foot office for a dollar a square foot for the year. So he had like his 800 bucks the year for the year. And wow. he had kind of grabbed a couple. He was trying to do some presentation. He picked up a couple guys at a local college, had been working here as designers. And then he had called his longtime friend, uh, collaborator in Chicago. Andrew Clark, he's like, Hey man, I think I, I think I accidentally started an agency down here in Chattanooga. Um, and they originally had a kind of a mission to work with emerging brands and like doing apps and kind of creating new micro companies. Um, but he, David was still getting calls from, um, from, from brands that were looking for video help and, so I was working in another production company in town and he would, he would bring it, but David's process is, and I think going to Tommy's point of like why he wanted to bring production in house, it's, 
it's very backwards. Like, I mean, we'll often be editing final spots before we even, before even pitching the script. Like he, he, he's a very visual person. So needing to see, like seeing is believing. And then even that he doesn't, he doesn't trust anything. Like doesn't trust uh, just cause we pitched something doesn't mean he's going to trust that. So it's like, it's if you know what you pitch is never as good as like, then you script it. And then that's never as good as what you think it's going to be, you know, and then you make it and that's never going to be as good as what you think it's going to be. And then you edit it and that's never going to be as good as what you expect it to be. So it's like exploration at just about like literally every, every level. Um, and that kind of exploration is obviously incredibly time. Um, it's a time suck, but it's also like a financial suck, especially when you're trying to go to work with other collaborators. And Tommy mentioned that I directed quite a few, I think we've worked with eight directors over the course of Humanot. And I think a large part of that is just because it's very difficult to bring people into the process when we're working on something for so long, dedicating so much time to it. It's like, and you're making kind of so many micro decisions that affect the whole, it's very difficult to bring in a collaborator that's going to have any, um, that's going to take it much further than David's already kind of taking it. Um, and so like in that point, it's really just facilitating that, that built that vision. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I think I touched on too many things there, but no, no, no. It, I mean, it, it makes sense. You're talking about your process a little bit. I mean, to say it in kind of a, <laughs> I don't know if it's a more rude way, but it sounds like what you're saying is like, well, why should I pay somebody else to do something that we're just going to do here anyway, based on the process that you're describing, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, if you're talking about your average vendor, you know, yeah, there's a lot of money. If, if you guys are already doing it, if you can mm -hmm. edit your own previs or something, or even do your own rough cuts that are so far along, you might, I don't know. I'm assuming you guys may turn around and be like, is this the final? Or are we just like pretty close to the final? Like, why, why do we really need an editor? I mean, I know there's obviously there's really talented people who can do everything that they're specializing in. But it, from what you're saying, it sounds like you guys, you have an editing producer. In -house. <laughs> it's true. We do. Yeah. Uh, so it, we used to be very apologetic about our process and like, you know, talking to, to directors and DPs, especially editors, um, but then we kind of realized like this is it's, it's one of those things like, is it a, a fault or a uh, a feature and we've really come to embrace it and, and shape it you know it used to be a lot harder on people and, and dan have, dan and i have created a shield uh, to the best of our abilities anyway to to help sort of stifle the effects of that process down the line but we've got in-house editors and uh and a, a post producer of sorts and uh you know young talent that we develop we've got one of our most talented guys on staff is a chemical engineering student who graduated who's really into break dancing and teaching dancing uh and he just wow. wanted to learn how to shoot and edit kind of to build his own business so we know his, he's on a clock like he's going to leave as soon as he feels accomplished enough but he's he's yeah. directing and editing national spots now and you know he's got no background and i think we've got we've become really good especially in the city of chattanooga of cultivating talent especially as we identify holes that need filled like for grip and lighting for uh grip and electric for, as editors for shooters just really the art department's a big one i think yeah really embracing like hiring hiring the person and not the resume i think is is one thing that's really helped us over the years in a in a 
place like Chattanooga, um, where we're really looking for the right mindset of people that are optimistic, uh, that aren't going to take, uh, you know, the criticism and the, the, the constant, a constant need to go back and explore more, going back into the well, even after you think you have the answer. And really just looking for people that are hungry to help make something and aren't going to bring the ego that, that would, you know, is the death of most creative ventures when you're trying to work together. Um, so in, in that, in that regard, it's like every time we've tried to bring in sort of more quote unquote industry professionals here and there, it's been very difficult for them to make that switch, uh, that, that like kind of turning that off, um, of the right way to do it. And I think Tommy and I both come from that enough, um, that we've been able to kind of say like, all right, what's important and what can, what are the rules we can fudge? Um, and I think untraining is so much harder than just training. And that's where we found a lot of our, uh, I don't know. Yeah, no, we've, we've really struck out on uh, some people with really dense pedigree, really strong resumes. And it's just, um, <laughs> I guess I shouldn't get too specific. It's, it's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of tension, I guess, in being both a creative agency and a production company. Like there's a lot of reasons those two entities don't get along traditionally. And we've really navigated a lot of that really well. And like the people that we hire as a production entity within this creative agency is different than how the creative agency gets like the copywriters and designers. They, they sort of have to have, in a lot of ways, more of a pedigree or background experience, you know, the agency world can be so cutthroat anyway. So we also have an opportunity as the production side of things to, I think, take more of a risk on people and local talent specifically. Yeah. I, uh, it makes perfect sense. I mean, I haven't heard stuff like that. Uh, oh gosh. I wish I had a cooler, more film related example for this. This will make me sound like such a veteran, but I mean, I, I remember guys in, uh, in the army saying that where they're like training everyone on their first shoot day. And they're like, all, all you dudes that think, you know what you're doing, just please try to hang that up. You're not going to, you're not going to listen to us. And you still probably think you're the best out here, but please learn mm -hmm. our way and not your way. And, mm -hmm. uh, kind of lines up the way you guys are talking about so with a place, I don't know uh, much about, I don't know anything about Chattanooga. Um, we're actually going to check out uh, Raleigh here in the next week, but you guys have right got me thinking I should swing through Chattanooga and maybe look around there. Come grab um, a beer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, check the place out. You guys make it sound like a cool spot and it sounds like it makes sense. Do, do you find that because Chattanooga, and again, I don't know Chattanooga, but it doesn't <clears throat> pop up as one of the quote film cities. Uh, so do you find it's easier we to we find? We shouldn't exist. Yeah. Chattanooga's... So Chattanooga is like a hundred miles. It's 110 miles from every city or most of the cities you've heard of in the South. So you got, it's about two hours from Atlanta, two hours from Nashville, two hours from Knoxville, two hours from Huntsville, two hours from Birmingham. Uh, should be two hours from Asheville, but. Uh, but that sounds great. Three. That kind of sounds awesome. It is. Cause I don't want to be Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> and Nashville, as uh, they're pretty much getting what uh, I guess is being called the Austin effect now. Yeah. I mean, they just have such a major influx of friends I have there. They're like, dude, mm -hmm. don't come here. 
yeah. it's 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 like an ant farm now i'm like oh okay and it's got it's got its issues like we can't we can't just go to a rental house that doesn't exist here so we have to really be well, i shouldn't say that we have an amazing rental house here one oh department oh. Blue. i mean i'm at camp camera rental specific specifically uh department blue to chattanooga huge shout out uh we have we have some we have a great uh warehouse flights and they do a lot of live events and stuff and we're really lucky um, we get to work with each other all the time but even like a lot of times we have to send them to atlanta to get like a fisher dolly uh right. any c- cinema glass we want we have to order ahead of time or send a runner but that said like we, st- we still pull the talent from these places that wouldn't survive here uh you know as far as the, the amount of work that we're able to give the other production companies are able to give so it's just it, really it's, nice it's created an amazing community of um of makers and just general things that like we can help support and like i said before like a lot of them are artists or like working they're not necessarily jumping they're not working other film jobs necessarily they're doing you know metal work or you know they're just they're coming on to help us it's kind of created it's really um indie commercial it's like it's like being on an indie commercial set a little bit only in the sense of like we all work together, like you know like your first day stay, everybody's working together so often and so much in this community that it's really um it's a kind of familiar familial environment in that regard um, and then the people that we bring in from, you know, New York, not as much LA because it's such a long flight, but yeah. a lot of New York, cause we have a direct flight, uh, out of New York and a lot of Atlanta and New Orleans, actually, uh, I used to live in New Orleans and I still oh, yeah? have a lot of crew, crew friends down there. Yeah. I was, uh, I was a juicer down there for 10 years and, <laughs> in, uh, in, uh, 478. Technically um, New Orleans is doing great because Louise, they keep bringing a lot of jobs to town. Oh um, man, Luke, New Orleans is the best, one of the best cities in the world. They're amazing. Everyone, yeah. every, yeah, anyway, but all that say, like, we'll travel those folks in. And like, once we work with them once, it's so great because then they kind of figure, they start understanding our speed and they're like, oh, like, I really have to care about this. I don't need to give a fuck about all this other shit. That's all bullshit. Like, I can just kind of come and hang out. Like, uh, not hang out. I don't <laughs> makes it sound a little lax. It's a pain in the ass. It, but it used to be kind of hang out. We kind of had to yeah, lay right. some rules down. We were yeah. teaching other people bad habits. Yeah, we realized like ah, oh, some of these rules we really gotta be a little bit more. We're like on. the cool parent, but also go to bed on time. <laughs> uh, but all that say, like it's been a, it's been a lot more that facilitating that environment on set, especially because of the way David works. Um, is so crucial and so important to the actual creative because it, uh, it's really facilitating something that like, and I, I, I love big sets and I love people that are really, that know their job well enough to like, you know, I used to fuck off on set and like kind of go over there, you're looking at your phone and you're, you're just kind of waiting, you know, smoking cigarettes by the fucking lights and waiting for the next thing. And I give up, Oh, I'm, I'm doing my job. And that's all I give a fuck about. Uh, and I'm really good at it. And I'm going to do everything I'm told, but that's about it. And like, as, I know I'm making this bigger thing, but I really only care about like what's for lunch, who's catering this job, you know, what yeah. time we're going to, that kind of stuff. And that when this, the, especially with the brands we're working with, like the people that are sometimes it's their first big production. 
or uh, their first, uh, or it's something that they're kind of transferring over from bigger agencies. And we're and they're just sort of, they're all, you know, jaded and, and think, trying to create this like behind the camera environment that of like, that's supportive and feels fun. Cause a lot of, I mean, so much of the, so much of what we're doing is so iterative and so spontaneous within a certain box. That's where Tommy and I are trying to keep that spontaneity to a very, <laughs> very small thing. Also why ADs have a hard time. That's why ADs, ADs hate working for us because they don't understand that flow. And it's very hard to describe it um, about like what to care about and what not to care about. Cause we, we can't just be lawless and like, you know, we don't have all day to do certain things. Sometimes we're like, Oh, you have 20 minutes here, but play, like do whatever you want to do in 20 minutes or do whatever you, you have an hour and a half with this talent. And they're just, and David is often rewriting the spot based on where the camera is, what it looks like and what the talent is giving us. And how often having like, oh, this is what I wrote isn't right for this person. I'm gonna start rewriting the spot. And the, he's really the only person I've ever been able to see that can do this well, where it's still on strategy, it's still on brand, and it's still making the commercial like that much uh, sharper. So it's not just like ad living, like oh, wouldn't this be funny? Uh, you know, say yeah. fart, say fart again. Oh, let's make <laughs> let's make this person cuss. Although it can kind of seem that way. Uh, say fuck. Uh, yeah, it can seem like he's just playing. It can seem that way, but like when you get back into the edit, you realize like all of this stuff is supporting the initial strategy, the initial uh, objective, and that initial kind of creative overview. So as much as, as much spontaneity and as much ad-libbing, as much rewriting as goes on, it's all within that initial bucket or that initial uh, uh, platform that was initially pitched. Uh, it's so much better and it's so much uh, more real because I think for him, he's just like, how am I supposed to how am I supposed to write a script that's any good when I don't know who's saying it? I don't know where they're saying it. I don't know what they look like. I don't know what the camera's doing. Like you can't really, you can't really write a script until you know all those things. And you, and we at human on the way we, with our budgets, like you really sometimes don't know that until you're there or the day before. And you're like, Oh, this is where we are. And this is where we ended up landing. And like, okay, like what would this person say that would still work? Um, and we, I think we've really built our, maybe our superpowers, we've built a process around that and it, it could be transferable. It's not, I mean, Dave, David Littlejohn obviously is just such an advertising genius, but we've created this great workflow. Like we never cut. We've realized like the moment you cut, that's when hair and makeup comes in. That's when the DP is adjusting lights. It really slows your day down. And uh, so like we just huh. roll and there's long takes and uh, he's playing. That's like the bucket stands describing where you just get as much as you can get in here. And we're not going to reset until we have to. Uh, you know, we're not wasting tape. we got big hard drives. Um, and our poor editors, they're, we have just an awesome staff of editors and freelancers that are used to working with us. But the first time has to be hell because we do hundreds with all those takes and alt lines that aren't even scripted, do hundreds of, of versions, you know, to get to the one that we can start blowing out to explore from that one you get to. Yeah, it sounds, sounds like you guys have a unique process. Or at least yeah. not the, the traditional uh, process. Yeah, it's it's a 
it's it's often we like to say it's the worst of both worlds it's it's <laughs> it's uh it's everything you hate about being scrappy and it's everything you hate about pomp and circumstance of like iterations for um big agencies that you work with but it makes the best work yeah we're always in yeah, the press it's gonna say you guys keep work. picking on yourselves but you i mean <laughs> you look but amazing it, i mean it's it's for, it's, it's the benefit is like, I, I often, we often say it's like, we're a, um, like we're like a product first production company is in like, we are going to make sure a product being like whatever the video or whatever the, the idea is like, we're, everything is in support of that. And everything that we're doing is working towards that. And, and it's time, it's the amount of time that is invested. I mean, like even our post schedules, our post is six weeks long because it's three weeks before a client even sees anything because um, it's so like David, like we'll have 250 versions of a cut before the client ever sees it. Uh, And part of that is because there's probably five or six, sometimes 15 different structures that have developed from, or usually I shouldn't say that, it's probably five unique structures of like, how could this play Cause that's the thing about like when you're the night before as he's doing it, he's like, I know ne- he never wants to be locked into uh, a particular like sequence of events. Like we never shoot towards boards. If we're ever doing storyboards, it's purely for internal purposes. We'd never show that to a client because oh, really? we'd never want them to think that that's what they're going to get. We do, we do, we cover the script just in case. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the first thing we do is make sure that the script is got the line as written. The line. I mean, our job would be so much easier if all we had to do is make a storyboard and shoot it and get the best takes and move on. I can't even imagine. Like, that's like, that would be amazing. Easy Street. Huh? That would be amazing to try to, to do that. Like, but we. I, I, I can't tell if my company's cool or lame now. <laughs> Because, because we do storyboards and we show them to we show them to clients and stuff. Well, no, it's no, no. I think cool. that I think that's a great way to do it, and what a what a great way to like express your idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but for David, he doesn't want anything that's going to be like lock him into a thing. Like before that, he's when decided. you said that, it made sense. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I've I've heard in uh, many different formats now, uh, from, from talking to people to even, even master classes and stuff, people are like, yeah, you kind of don't want to get too specific when you're telling people what you're going to give them, because then if they don't get Brad Pitt, they're going to, even if somebody's amazing, they're like, yeah, but you know, I thought it was going to be Brad Pitt. And then you said Brad Pitt. So this stinks. And you're like, no, it doesn't. It's amazing. It's funny. It it trickles up to our, our clients even like it's, it it is a unique process and it does remove ego, which is like what advertising traditionally is just based in some, some old white dude thought a thing would be good. And then all the minions down the factory line made that thing. And then it ends up on TV as he wrote it and storyboarded it, but this just like blows it out. So we have to not only convince like editors and, and contractors and our own staff, like this, if, it's, if it is the worst of both worlds, it really does make 
the best work, just wait and see. And so like our clients, we have to sort of teach, you know, we're, we're removing the ego here. It's not going to be what we sold you. It's going to be in that world. Like it's still in the box and all the stuff is there. The puzzle still comes together, but it's not necessarily what you bought exactly. And sometimes that really surprises people, you know, it could be shocking to drop the sort of budgets that I did for the clients that we do have these in a lot of cases, it's like somebody's life savings, you know, somebody starts an organic company or some kind of tech startup, there's not extra money to fail. And, and well, it sounds I think like that, they trust yeah. you. Well, that's trust is like the fundamental thing. And I think, and that's why I, I think, you know, Dave, David, we, we often joke about like, we're operating from a case of fear because we don't want to let the client or the project down. And it's like, we're scared. And so like, it's like covering, covering our basis is in, in every way possible is just because it's like, oh, we can't just expect this one thing to work. We got to have three others like in the back pocket. Like, it's um, kind of cool though. It sounds like another form of not being e- egotistical because you care enough to be scared whether they're going to like it or not. I, it sounds pretty like, charming, when, like the way you guys do things. I'm, I am curious to know about the, because you talked about how you guys do production. I am curious to know I mean, I don't want to say like, well, how'd you get your clients if you guys do things this way? But I am kind of Mm -hmm. curious to know how you generate those relationships because you did say, and it's kind of cool to hear. I think Tommy said this a few minutes ago. It's like, they might not get what they thought they were buying. (laughs) And so we can't show them that or something. So that, but that's a really cool. And that's why I said they must trust you a lot, which is obviously really cool. And I'm, I'm assuming that that snowballs, that trust just keeps getting better and better to the point where clients are just like, yeah, look, uh, cut them the check and uh, they'll, they'll take care of it. I wish, I wish that was it's, the case. It's interesting. There's definitely a point at which you reach a, a certain clientele, a level, of, a level of client where their their budgets are bigger and they're used to a more traditional process and it, it, they have bigger teams. It's not just one or two people with their yeah. life savings. So some of our bigger clients and bigger budgets, we've really had to take a step back and be like, why, why is this so hard? Why aren't they getting it and it's like oh because they've spent decades doing it the old way and like we're we're talking about you know we work with such startup like collaboration style clients for the most part or traditionally have we've grown a lot in the past year and so there's been a lot of sort of growing pains but and i don't think it's ever been a fun process to work with humanot <laughs> for the client like it's it's garnered at the end they they look at it and they say oh i get it like they get to the thing and they realize like, oh, you you made like five or six different commercials for me. And I get to choose which one I like best. And then I get, you know, then David would often be like, yeah, I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna throw you in a 15. I'm, look at this cool sex, look at all, you know, like they got way more than they paid for. But like the whole time they're like hand wringing because they're just like, oh God, I, I don't know what's happening. And this seems, see the script. I, <laughs> I saw the script, but we were, you're changing it now. And I, I don't, you know, I don't get to pick a DP. I don't get to pick my director. I don't get to pick anything. I get a little bit of a say in the actors. And, uh, um, and now we have a lot more, and then we were smaller then. And that's just sort of like the way it was. And then they'd see it and they'd be like, this was amazing. And then they'd go, you know, ring the church bell and they're in whatever sector. And then people would get calls because we didn't have a sales agent. So people would, people would just call. We still don't have a salesperson. That's though. true. Yeah. We turned down a lot of work. All of the work is just word of mouth. And 
And they're like, yeah, just bear with them, I think is what. Or it was like, oh, you guys don't have any money? I, I know this company that just hands out content. <laughs> and, and, and so now we have, now we have a better uh, brand producers. Uh, we have account people that are much better at walking clients through. So it's not quite as, pain, not quite as painful. Um, but yeah, I think as time as we're growing, it's like it's kind of painful for us. It's like, hey, why? You know, we're just we're still throwing all the money in front of the camera. Like that's what our objective is. We should be making a lot more money. We're not. Um, like we're not hiding anything. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, we're we're usually trying to fight David and say like just to try to keep some meager amount of money to keep the lights on so um, we can grow. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, hey, got another kid coming. Uh, I'd love to make sure that this Congratulations, by the way, Dan. I heard. I heard. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> um, but that said, like, um, it's been interesting to grow and realize, like, um, yeah, the, the changing client expectations of, like, um, how, how do we get them? Because we need so much time. Because so much of the time, it's like, the creatives have a, you know, there's writer's rooms and there's like insight development and they are literally just mulling it over. And that's not a lot of pen to paper necessarily in terms of like practical hours, but in terms of like, we kick off things and it's in the shop in sort of the zeitgeist of like human art for a long time. And that, that percolates like ideas start to think like, Oh, there's this type of client. And like, Oh, you start seeing things, you know, around, you start thinking about things. Um, and then that just sort of keeps, you know, folding over on it in on itself until, um, by the time we get to make it. And then it's still changing. It's still like David often sells things as we pitch like five things, five platforms, five fully blown out scripts, directions that they could go they'll pick one and david just takes that as like he'll say this often as a this is just my like i've got a license to make something i've got approval that i'm allowed to make something that they're going to give us money to make something not that thing that i just sold but something and so he'll sit down with production and say okay i sold this idea uh what what are we actually making you know, and it's, it's still in the same world. And of course, we're still going to make that thing that he sold, but he's actually having a conversation saying like, what are we actually going to do? Like, what can we afford? Where are we going to shoot this thing? Like what's available? Like where, like going back to the beginning of this conversation to loop back, it's like, where are we going to spend our money? Like what's the, and what's like the big part of this idea that like, that's where our money's going to go. And then how do we kind of figure out how we're going to like cut the corners that we need to cut to support that big idea, that big, that big part of the idea. And once we know that, uh, and I, I think just to, to like hello toothpaste, when we had the scooter, I don't know if anybody's seen that, like the whole uh, the um, spit. spit. S-P-Y-T. Uh, we did a thing for hello toothpaste and it was, um, they, they basically created a fake service for um, uh, a back of a scooter where you could order uh, a spit and a scooter guy would come up and you could you know, a working sink on the back of this scooter. And there's a whole pomp and circumstance of it giving you a toothbrush and doing all that stuff. And you could, you could order, you know, to brush your teeth on the side of the road and spit in this thing. And, um, and we got that in and Tommy was like, Oh, that's great. Like, Oh wait, that shoots like 
four weeks from now, it's like a human out of eternity. Uh, I was like, yeah, we'll fake the bike and let's start thinking about all these other things we got to worry about. It's like, no, 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 no. Like David's going to expect this scooter to work. Like, like that's the idea. We got to put a working sink on the back of a scooter, an electric scooter, an electric scooter that looks like a Vespa. That's the whole idea. Like we are like three weeks behind already. Like we need to like start sourcing. That's where we got to, he's like, but that thing's going to cost like shit ton of money. Yeah. That's the idea. Everything else is supporting of that. And so everything else doesn't matter. That's that's because we took it to New York and we ran it as a service. And they, they, Hello was so impressed with the ad and knew that they had a functioning scooter. They, they were like, let's do a PR stunt. And so we got a bunch of influencers to, to help us do a live PR stunt with this thing. I think that's another part of David is like, he hates fake. He hates commercials. He hates anything that's like, that's great. When he's watching commercials, he's, he's thinking like, who made this? Like who, where was the camera and like, who made this? And I think that's, that's usually the first question Tommy and I ask him, which is like, who is the camera? Like when we see a spot, like, okay, who is the camera in your head? Is this a documentary crew? Is this a, are we making fun of a traditional ads? So we need like a lot of big, do we need to look like a big traditional ad? Or are we going to be more of like a roaming camera? Are we going to be, you know, like, who's the camera? Like, what, what is that? Because that answers a lot of questions in terms of like, we, we joke that we break the fifth wall. A lot of our work is like, I know, you know, I know that this is an ad. Like there's a wink, like a lot of times we'll start an ad mocking just like to make it look at a shitty ad, like a shitty, uh, don't want to throw any coffee companies, but like a, like an instant coffee commercial might look and feel just very plastic. We'll yeah. open an ad like that and then let it feel like that and largely ignorable, but the dialogue has to be right there to make people say, wait, this isn't a shitty ad. This is kind of funny. This is making fun of shitty ads. They know, I know they, they know. Uh, I have a fun tidbit. You didn't ask about our clients, but a fun thing we also have to solve for, uh, constantly is like the level of clients we get traditionally it's changing always, but, uh, traditionally, We've had clients with very little brand recognition. Um, we, we can't just do funny spots for the sake of being funny. We can't do car insurance ad, a Geico ad with just like, here's a wacky thing and end with everybody knows the logo. So most of the work we're doing is also an explainer video. It's educational. So it has to be like, this is this complex, good for you, good for the world product that you don't know what it is, don't know who it is, that we have to explain all of in a fun way that keeps you activated for 15 30 seconds yeah, yeah it's because it's like nobody like with coke it's like coca-cola doesn't want to tell you about its farmers or the people that make it or the ingredients that go into it. it's like no buy fucking happiness it tastes great um live well and be happy you know like whereas like a lot of our clients are like, please go into great detail like, this is my father's vision and that it was passed on to me and I blah blah blah, blah. yeah and, and the reality is you got to say like, that's awesome, but people, the consumer doesn't care. Unfortunately, like it's like, or yeah. there's only so much care that they can actually get. Like you can make those like 2010, 2012, <clears throat> you know, maker docs of like, you know, 1967, my daddy had an idea to make skate parks, you know, I, and like you can, and everybody knows what those are and they're emotional and they're beautiful and they're great, but that's not, and it's not really where we are and people don't have the time to do that anymore. And that doesn't, that's not how the internet works anymore. So a lot of it's like, does it taste good? Is it affordable or taste or 
work or is it quality? Is it affordable? Like how much does it cost and like how much premium? And then does it have a cool story that I can feel good about spending my money on those first two because of those, because of those first two things. Um, and so it's like, we got to be able to like get this stuff, get that kind of information in here. So you feel good about it, but not make it, not make the mistake of like, we want to make the brands relevant and compete inside those like compete alongside Apple and um, the cooler things like Geico, Nike, you know, those, those, yeah, those cool, those that are awesome commercials and are really fun to watch. I, I'm not taking anything away from it's like some of the most beautiful art. I mean, Gucci makes those beautiful apps. It's funny by, by the time. Gucci does make beautiful apps. <laughs> it's, it's funny, like by the time most of these brands that, we're, that we help build to build sort of ubiquity around, uh, you know, they don't really come back at that point. They'll go to the big agencies and they can do the fun stuff. Oh, really? <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. It sounds like you guys are kind of pioneering the way for some of these companies and then they kind of blow up with your spots that look huge. And, but that's interesting to hear that, that they're like, all right, we're big time now. Let's go. Yeah, we've we've certainly go got time. some long lasting good relationships, but that's also been a thing. Like it's, we'll, we've, we've done work very, very affordably. Sometimes even mm-hmm. lost money in the past thinking like, this is going to be, the, we'll, we'll hook them in and they'll see how good we are. And they'll spend their next budget on like really doing this. But nine times out of 10, we realized that they just kind of come back with the same budget or if they come back at all and be like, oh, cool, let's do what we did last time, but maybe water it down a little. Except <laughs> like, we're not anybody like we're, we're not, we don't do repeat work. We rare, very rarely do. And partly that's like, we're very project based still. We don't, so we don't do retainer clients. So, and, and really it's because, fun. Yeah, because Dave doesn't want to, he's like, I don't want to, if I'm not excited about it, I don't want to be doing coupon work and, you know, hiring a bunch of whole, hiring a bunch of people to like write emails and, you know, handle your social media account when I know you could hire two kids out of college to do that yeah. better than, better than we could, like, cause they would care about it and that would be their full-time job. You get way more value. Uh, than, so are you, us. Are, are you guys the primary like drivers of production? Because if I recall correctly, it's David Littlejohn and Andrew. Andrew is, Clark. Is, yeah. Okay. So, and then is it you guys, are you guys one of several production teams or are you guys kind of like the ones who lead the way? Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm just trying to, not that I, the hierarchy doesn't matter. I just, it's, it's really interesting to hear about how you guys work, especially oh, yeah, where you work and how, how, just how it all works is interesting. Meantime, we're ringleaders for sure <laughs> of, of, of a circus. And it, so it's, yeah, we've got like Andrew, uh, Andrew Clark, like overseas strategy. And for a long mm-hmm. time, for a long time, he was sort of the operation side of the growing the business as well. David has always overseen creative. Um, and then, we entered the picture and sort of developed this team and it became a whole department of production. And it's sort of the end of the line. It's where, you know, they've got their teams of, uh, Andrew's got a small team of strategists that think, what is this, you know, what does this need to be creatively? And then David and his team take it over with uh, copywriters and designers and say like, here's how we're gonna bring that idea to life. And spends a lot of time there and then hands that over to Dan and I. Um, There's always like a gray area where we're working together, but right. we, yeah, we very much oversee the production. Um, and we did last year, and of course COVID was a strange thing. Oh, 2019 even, I think we did like 85% of our productions in-house with 
uh, you know, local contractors. Um, last year, everything we did was in-house, 100%, mostly in our studio. I think all but two of our productions were in our studio space here in Chattanooga. And uh, this year, so far, we're on track. I, I don't know if we're as willingly like fighting to do everything 100% of the time. We're open to doing more than one thing at a time and hire out production companies. But uh, to date, all of our work has been in-house uh, in 2021 as well. So we've got some great we've got some great producers, line producers that um, we contract out with. Like um, that 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 helps us immensely just to kind of bring in. Uh, and once they kind of get the process and they get the flow, they're just another part of the team. We'll give a shout out to Alvaro in New Jersey. Yeah. Alvaro Donato. In New Jersey. Yeah. He'd call it New York, but we're calling him out for that. He's in Montclair. <laughs> Mon- he's in Montclair. So it's no big deal. It's like, yeah, no, it's and, funny. And we, he's a line producer. Yeah. Yeah. And we and bring he him. assembles your crews for your shoots at your studio in Chattanooga. Well, so Ch- uh, Alvaro and I have been working together for a long time. Actually, another production company. He's Alvaro's been doing the remote thing for a long time. So, like, he was at a, he was remote at a production company here in Chattanooga in 2016. So he's he's used to, he, he actually knows this area better than uh, a lot of people. Even the, oh wow, are from are from here. And we take him. He's even produced stuff like in Austin for us, where nobody knew anything about anything. He's just his mind is like so in line with with how we do things that we just, we rely on him and, and love him. He's, he's a brother or an uncle because he's a little older than us. So and <laughs> he's helpful. And, he, he helps and he helps get some of those, like it, it just helps us kind of branch into New York. He's also a director. I mean, like he's directed a couple spots for us too. So like um, he's edited, I think he's edited. Yeah, a he's even spots, edited yeah. some like really small scale stuff for us. He's just, just to help us player. out because we were so, but we're trying because we are, we do function, like we do our own payroll and uh, we were very much an in-house production company. And so there's no reason not to in the world. We feel like it's sort of changing too. Like you don't, we can get directors easier now than we could previously without a production company attached or like I can find more freelance producers that work directly with agencies more. So I, I think it's a very collaborative sort of deal where Dan and I are always sort of co-producing uh, even when we have third party line producers on contract with us. That's pretty cool, man. So is chat, I mean, I know not to, I mean, I'm sorry to keep going back to Chattanooga, Chattanooga, but like, please, are you guys sorry to get too personal? I mean, so are you guys happy there? Is it working? Do you want to just keep it going? Yeah. I, I love Chattanooga. It's a, a big goal of mine is to just create a community. It's, it's cool. Cause I think we're very lucky that there's other production companies in town that we don't compete with. We're sort of in a different space so we can, we can all use each other and be friendly. Um, it's not, it's not cutthroat at all. Yeah. Try to, we actually try to call each other to let each other know when we have big productions, mostly so we're not fighting over like the, the, the local crew base here and just basically yeah. so, like, we've moved productions around based on another production company's availability just so that we could keep all these, you know, crew people working, keep people working. And it doesn't help to, yeah. To, to make them lose out on two jobs or, you know, one job, you know, let's give them, if we can give them two jobs, then that's way better for the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If we can, if we can make it work. So. And Dan, so you, you were in production in New Orleans for 10 years, you said? Oh yeah. It's a and great. they, how did you end up at Humanot? 
Oh, how did I end up at human? Uh, we begged. No, that I. So, David, Little John, and I actually go way, way back. So he and okay. I have known he and I have known each other for a very long time. David and I actually used to work together in high school making um, videos uh, way back when. And oddly enough, like not even the fun videos, whenever David and I made videos together, it was for like school announcements uh, or like we, and they were weird, weird things. And David, I used to take his journal and he was a, he's in a class ahead of mine uh, where we had this English class and you have to do journals. And I would just, and you know, teacher would just leave all the journals that he was grading out and I could grab them. We would just grab them during study hall and just read what people's private thoughts were. Um, and uh, <laughs> I just in school. Yeah, I would take David's and David was just writing advertising. He's 15 years old and he's writing ads way back then. That's not fair. Um, and he just, that was his passion. I was just like, God, what the hell is going on with this thing? Um, and me, I was, I was wanting to make, you know, movies and um, in whatever form. And I had kind of left school and went to Austin and, and oh, got did you? Job. Okay. Yeah, I got in a job on um, in 2003 on a, a a movie down there starring the Wilson brothers. I couldn't quite make it over to Rome to work with Wes Anderson when he was doing that. So I, I worked on uh, uh, Luke and uh, Andrew Wilson's directorial debut, uh, the, the Wendell Baker story. I'm sure you've seen it or own it on Blu-ray. Uh, so anyway, uh, but I the only job I could get was in the electric department and they, you know, I worked for free. I hid on the truck when the union boss came to look and uh, they gave the guys would kind of give me 20 bucks at the end of the week. And I slept in my car and bathed in Barton Springs. I think Barton, Barton Springs. Yeah. Was yeah it's Barton Springs. Uh, yeah. Um, and it's like a fountain. It's like a, it's like a swimming pool. It's, it's, it's like Austin's a one body of water that it's awesome. if, it ever, if it ever dries up, the city's in trouble. Anyway, but all I say, I, I, I worked, you know, there. And then after that, like any other movie that like indie, indie movies that I work on, they were like, oh, have you ever, what have you done before? And I'd be like, well, I worked in the lighting department. And they'd be like, oh, that's just so happens. We need people in the lighting department. You know, like they need every fucking thing. Um, and so I suddenly just had this like resume of lighting. And then I went to New Orleans and, um, you know, got in the union down there and did that for a very long time until I, you know, and it's a great grip and lighting, such a great way to see a set and understand who yeah. works with who, because you're working really close uh, with the gaffer, the DP, you're watching the director work and like you're having, you know, you luckily get to stand by that light and watch, watch them direct and you watch the other departments and how that works. Um, I don't know. I, I loved it. It was an amazing education for me. Um, I was a terrible gaffer. I was a great third and a pretty okay rigging, rigging gaffer. But I, I came up, I came back up to Chattanooga I was after my wife and I had made this, started making this movie up in St. Paul. And it was a Christmas movie. We were shooting it in Christmas and it didn't snow 30 years. It had, uh, had never not snowed at Christmas. It uh, but we bought a house here in Chattanooga. David and his wife had moved back and they were champions. He's very convincing. So you should come back. It's such a great place. Blah, blah, blah. So we came back 
I continued to work in New Orleans and Nashville and all over. And then I got a job at a production company in town as a creative director, which is quite a leap. Um, yeah. But it, <laughs> it was uh, it was because they were just really looking it, it again, another title that doesn't mean anything. Um, and it was really just like, how do we make you just heard a lot of people? <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, another title that didn't mean anything at the place that I was at. It definitely you may means... have heard the people who want that title more than the people who have it. <laughs> okay. Well, it's no, a great title. If you're a creative director <laughs> at some place, then it probably means something. It didn't mean as much there. All it really meant was like, how do we make these productions replicable? So it's like, oh, you made a, oh, you made this amazing production for like six thousand dollars. He's like, yeah, but if I had to make that same production every two weeks for the rest of the year, that production suddenly costs, you know, hard costs, 60, $70,000 because I can't rely on my friends. I can't rely on that house. I can't rely on, yeah. you know, last minute things. It's like, and that, you know, it's so easy to make a, you can make a really good video for nothing once <laughs> uh, or like if you have all the time in the world, but the minute you have to do that on somebody else's schedule and you got to do it every other week, that's where the expense comes in. Cause you have to start, you know, I, I'm just, I'm not saying anything that you and your listeners don't know, but. Um, no, it's awesome. I, I think it's cool for people to be reminded of. And I, I actually like the, there's more for us to explore with the creative director thing too, because like there's a positive to that, to what you said, even though you're like joking about it, because maybe uh, some of us put too much merit in that, like one day I'll be a creative director. Well, maybe they need to just go do it on their own right now. Kind of the way you're talking about, because I, I was just telling someone recently, they were like, what's it going to take to get this feature made? I was like, dude, where you live 150,000. If I go home, I don't know, 12,000 bucks with my friends for, for two weeks. Cause I just got to feed them, you know, it's uh -huh. shooting, shooting in these cool places. I mean, we're from Lynchburg, Virginia, so I kind of know what that's like, you know, shooting with the same crew and stuff like that. And it's cool when it works. And I was actually going to ask if you guys uh, do this as your one thing, or if you also uh -huh. wanted to make feature films on the side, or if that's the primary or what you're working towards. Uh, I'm just curious. Should I not ask? Dan, Dan's got a lot of. I'll go first because yeah. ask Tommy how he got here. Dan, nice talk is where this ends. Um, <laughs> so I, I'll, I'll give you my backstory real quick, so I get to, you have context for all I really care about and want to do. But I, so I, I graduated college at the height of the recession, um, and through some bad guidance counselors didn't end up in the audio programs that I really wanted to be a part of. There's also a marching band thing. It was Indiana University that got a renowned music school and I did not want to be in marching band. So what I really wanted to do with my life was be a record producer. I love music. It's my thing through and through. Um, not an amazing player, but I got a great ear for it. I feel like I can coach it really well. So I'm going to go to school. I'm going to be a record producer. going to move to Nashville. It's going to be awesome. So I did most of that. Uh, I graduated, like I said, in 2008, moved to Nashville, tried to snatch up a bunch of internships at recording studios as they were all shuttering. Uh, and so I, I, I shoveled horseshit literally at a, a recording studio in Franklin, Tennessee for about a year while I wash dishes and tried to pay for $4 gas. <laughs> I was finally like, I, I can't, there's no future, not even, not right now anyway. Um, but I know audio uh, and I have a degree technically in filmmaking. That's how I ended up going to school for because they had audio programs that I could do a lot of the sort of recording art stuff. So I started freelancing. I, I built a boom pole out of PVC and like baseball 
uh, grip tape and it looked really convincing, but I had like just this, I had a nice microphone. It was all I could afford, a shotgun mic. Um, and I, I faked it and I got by and paid the bills. And, and one day, a little startup called Studio Now was was hiring and they, they did video to scale. That was their thing. But what they needed was a uh, an audio book guy. So they had a model where like Yellow Pages would hire them when Yellow Pages was relevant to make video for the internet. And that was all you needed. It didn't have to be good. It just had to be video and on the internet. So I, I uh, they boomed that, that just like a great model for the time and place. The audiobooks part was not a boom. It was like, it was the worst, like Audible, when Audible was getting started, would give them like their worst D-list books, like a 13-hour book I'd have to, to listen to and uh, edit called How to Tell If Your Teen is Suicidal or like... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like uh, applying Texas Hold'em to to business practices and stuff, really uninteresting stuff. So one day America Online uh, bought that company, really cared about the video just immediately, like, you know, lopped off the audiobook department. And I was just kind of there like, hey, I went to school for video. Can I like have a job? And they were just like, yes. So, <laughs> so I started sort of coordinating this video to scale and... Uh, sort of saw what producers did I, like from being um, a freelancer on set and going to the startup the internet video production model saw what producers did uh, just grew into an associate producer a regular producer I really fell in love with startups in general because um, we grew and like started doing bigger stuff than just uh, you know mom and shop mom and pop shop yellow pages stuff we had bigger clients like Verizon and uh, like General Mills was a big client, mostly man on the street sort of interview stuff. All that to say, that company grew very big in the span of about five, six years, and it became much more about quantity than quality. And I realized how bad and toxic and you know, terrible the advertising industry could be. About the same time, Nashville was becoming just a, a constant uh, bride, bridal party. You know, Broadway was just it's all tractor pulls and, and hot tubs on pick and pickup beds now. So that's what drew me to Chattanooga with this job posting to produce video content in-house at Humanot. And I worked here for about a year before Dan came along. And I would encourage you and your listeners to look up the PetSafe commercial that we did together uh, titled Catspiracy. There's Catspiracy 1 and 2. It was so good that they came back for a sequel. It's all about how... Uh, cats poop and humans harvest it for profit so all let's say my 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 obviously my interests on the side are really just music uh you know as as much as i've invested in the video production side of the community here and helping people find and maintain work i'm just as interested in the music community in chattanooga which is growing and vibrant and like even dan's wife and her two sisters are recently signed to a, a label and oh wow it's very yeah very very cool thing but that's it's a music call me spinster yeah call me spinster name drop uh but but dan dan does everything constantly on the side as a artist and filmmaker so tell tell the man so is there a future film on the way always Always, nice, man. Everybody has cool. got everybody's got a little feature hiding inside of them, right? I know. I, I try to encourage it because I was just really stupid about commercials. Because when when my friends called me to this company a few years ago, I was like, "This is great. 
I'll spend two weeks a couple times a year on commercials, clear a few hundred thousand in profit margin, and make features in between. <laughs> and that was the most ignorant thing I may have ever thought oh. in my life because Damn, when I that thought first, I was going to say like. <laughs> That was bad. I just didn't know. Well, because that's what people, you know what? Because that's what people in LA said about commercials. They're like, oh man, you make so much money and it's only work for two weeks. Well, I was talking to crew. I wasn't talking to the people who have to develop the spot and pitch the spot and get new clients and then get approval on this. I didn't know that it was not two weeks, but like almost an 18 month process on the big ones. So yeah. You should be a creative director. You'll just (laughs) two weeks. <laughs> just pitch them. Um, well, man, let me let me ask because we we've hit like an hour at least, and I appreciate you guys' time. I don't want to hold you forever. Sorry, did, um, did we did we talk nice talk at all? I think it's very important that we address nice talk. Dan is doing an incredible what, thing. What is nice talk? <laughs> yeah, you should definitely talk. Um, we should have been talking about nice talk really the whole time. The Instagram handle is at nice talk. Not nice nice talk show. Oh, I'm sorry, it's at nice talk show. And Dan and, and our good friend Tyler Beasley, who's a wonderful. Uh, filmmaker and editor really built i mean built the editing process uh at human Eye. tyler tyler beasley did the school of editing right. at human what's the handle again so nice they, talk nice, nice talk, talk show. show it's a 15 second daily meditation we've been doing for the last couple of years there's there's a post for every single day of the year a few years strong while he's concurrently working on a feature-length movie that apparently is going to be shot on film now I've, is, is like a, a producer, half nice. of what Dan says frightens me. Yeah, there you go. Nice talk. Nice talk. It was a, an answer. We were we were doing some video. Tyler and I were stuck in the edit bay of some, some something, and we were kind of going crazy, and we were just basically like, you know what we need to do? Fuck this quality thing. What we need to do is quantity. We need to do something. It doesn't matter what it is as long as there's a lot of it. That's the key. And so we, uh, we just set apart to, uh, well, then we also kind of were going delirious and had said nice talk to each other for like 15 minutes straight. Only thing we said to each other, and we're like, man, that's a, that's a good idea. We should just do a couple of dudes talking nice to each other on the internet. I think that's, I think that's got wings. Like a vision quest. <laughs> anyway. Good, good, clean fun. Several years deep now. You can find them every single day with uh, a new interpretation of a, a horoscope. Horoscope. You really reading. post one. You really post one every day. Yes, that's a lot of work, man. These are these are good looking thumbnails. Does this mean like, what do you do? Record this. You have to record this in like a batch session. Look do at we? this color coordination. <laughs> you can't do. Don't tell me you do this every morning at six a.m. and you have this red sweater on. <laughs> It's hot in it's here. A nice, it's a nice turtleneck, though. Thank you. <laughs> it's a really um, peaceful. It's a really peaceful thing. It's a we. I, we like. I like to make people's daily bowel movements. Uh, I'd like to spend, you know, those first few moments with people during their most uh, satisfying part of their day. Nice. Uh, they shoot it in batches to answer your question, though, and then edit it. As, Tommy, <laughs> don't the spoil it. <laughs> The illusion is broken, Tommy. <laughs> I, I take well, full credit for the first taping, too. Yeah, I'll be watching myself. now. Um, 
I, I guess you get you guys have a pretty unique perspective. See, so you guys, it's actually fun. It's actually like hanging out with people and not doing this whole like talk show thing. So I appreciate that. Thank you for the transparency. But I do sure, and hey, we hate we hate advertising. Advertising, so we hate advertising, you know, and we're man, happy when to you talk said about. That, I was just like, that's how I want to talk. I hate advertising too. <laughs> it's terrible. I'm always complaining about other companies. I'm like, I don't care about blah blah blah. And, but it's like, I don't know. Like sometimes I'll see commercials and like I'll just have an imaginary tear because I'm like, that's the good stuff. Like there's this this one. I don't even know. This dude's like hanging out of an ice cream truck, talking like mean realities to kids. Have you ever seen this series? <laughs> He says like really so. harsh stuff to kids. Like kids are up at the truck getting ice cream and he just says really adult harsh stuff that like barely gets by on TV. And I'm like, man, they did it. They, <laughs> the mold. they, they really did it. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. It's, it's hard. It's hard because it, I mean, ads, it's like you're already, you're interrupting someone, which people hate from something that they'd rather be doing or watching. Uh, then you're you're trying to sell them something, which also sucks. Uh, so it's just you're already kind of starting at a deficit when you're when we're going out to make things. Like we gotta acknowledge that like your viewer hates you right out the bat. Like they just you're I'm doing so everything you said that, that they just they just hate you and and you got it takes you got to get them back and it's not and i don't think it's it's not people's attention spans that are like short where you have to get that in the, you got to get something in the first 5 seconds it's like no you got to convince them that you're not a fucking asshole or that you're talking to them like a real hey like we're a real human on this side making this thing and we want to make sure that you know that we're talking to you and respecting that you are too a real human and we're trying to be two humans to come together and, and maybe you like this thing that we want to tell you about. Maybe you don't. That's okay. And sorry for the interruption. We get some great feedback on our uh, irreverent approach to advertising. Cheeky. That's <laughs> yeah. awesome. Yeah. We really we, I, we I, pissed I, a woman off. We, we pissed a woman off so bad last week with the ad we made uh, about women pooping. And it's, it's for probiotics. It's a gut health thing. Um, she wrote us a letter. She wrote us a physical letter <laughs> about why she was so upset that we were so grotesque. And the whole the whole commercial is about how it's twenty. It's two thousand twenty one. You can say poop on TV, and uh, but you can't. You can't. It, it was can't a TV act. ad, and every network, not every network, most networks were like, you can't say poop on TV. And like that's the you're the problem, man. <laughs> so, I'll, I'll give you two poops. You can say two poops, but after that, you got to bleep them. There was limits. I on didn't the know you couldn't say poop on TV. You can say two in some networks. Some networks, no poops. Uh, no networks can you say vagina, which yeah, is fucking that out. hilarious. Like, it's dog shit. It's like you understand why they call it vagicils, because, like, when you're having a problems in your special area down there, vagicil, vagicil, you know, it's like, oh, they had this. It's weird. Dude, sometimes it's like Black Mirror. But I do, I, I think sometimes I think we need a special TV in the office just to, like, cuss and throw stuff at. Because, like, if I hear one more in these troubling times, <laughs> as we emerge together, I'm just like, you motherfucker. That would be a great poop commercial. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like times. Just like a bunch of stalls, wind in your hair. <laughs> oh, okay. Let me, let me, just, just for fun, if you could humor me, uh, what advice would you give to uh, emerging? filmmaking college students or, mm. or people trying to uh 
start their own humanot. I think you guys have shared a lot of your perspective, which I appreciate a lot. I really have. But if there's anything you haven't said, if they, if somebody was trying to just get it going from scratch, well, what would you tell them? I think my advice would be just to find whatever your interest is. Cause it's not, I don't want to like, like there's some DPs that just shoot hair and they just want to do that L'Oreal commercial with a beautiful wavy. And I, I don't want to shit on that. Like if that's what they really care about, that's what they really want to do. Like, that's cool too. You're very talented. You should you'd probably make a ton of money doing it. Um, but I, yeah, I guess my advice to any young person is just really find what you love and you know, the amount of money you make doing that isn't necessarily as important as uh, you know, you doing that, you could really save some bills on mental health and counseling <laughs> if you just do something you love. Yeah, I think, and that's absolutely right. And I think the other side of it is, is especially with like anything video film related, it's, it's a community, it's a community craft and you need to have people that you surround yourself with that you care about and that are supportive of you and that you're supporting, that you're also supporting because it, it takes a lot of people to make this thing. It's not like being a, a painter or a, a writer or a, uh, you know, singer songwriter kind of band where, where it's like a smaller, obviously those not to take anything away from those art forms. There's a lot of work and people that go into it eventually, but those are very private enterprises that you can just do and be very satisfied on a one-on-one -on -one thing to make a, a video to make any kind of thing like you need and rely on people and that the minute you bring in other people it's going to change the product it's going to either water it down or elevate it and sometimes things need to be watered down and sometimes things need to be elevated i think choosing your tribe and choosing your people that you want to spend time with uh, and just acknowledging that, like, I mean, hell, like, even on the crew days, it's like, who do I want to spend 15 hours a day with? That that being cool and, like, just being good to other people will often get you a better job than being the most talented. Because you can be a son of a bitch, but you got to be fucking the best there is. And the only person that can do that. Uh, you can be pretty shitty if you're the funnest, best oh my God, I cannot live my life without this kid personality late all the time, but like, God damn, he makes me laugh. <laughs> Most of us, I think, shoot for that middle of the road where we're like, we're pretty good at what we do, but we're really nice to be around as well. Uh, so I think that community aspect of it, finding your friends and, and people to, to, to support you and and that you can support it's a you know, two-way street and actually I have, I have another little nugget for any any aspiring young person trying to get into advertising video production whatever you want to do in video world commercial or not pa take the pa gigs i'm never going to hire another person who doesn't have pa experience because it is so vital to be at that bottom rung and what when you're a pa also always be sweeping if you're out of things to do <laughs> just find a broom your director your your producer they're gonna love you that's maybe true unless you're trying to be like i don't know but that, that's maybe true i don't know <laughs> sometimes working your way up can really hurt you uh i find that like i am a very crew centric director when i'm directing and i'm thinking about the quality and the, and the, the mental uh, strain and effort that I'm putting on the crew. And I think that other creatives that I've worked with that don't have that understanding, 
can often push for the better shot or the better result because they're not thinking about oh man this is gonna be really hard on this fucking uh yeah. prop and this can be really hard on that hairstylist because they're just thinking like this shot needs this fucking thing and so sometimes like the, some of the best dps i've worked with they didn't they never worked in the camera department they just were they just been i've been i'm a dp you, you need to be that cocksure you just need to be cool ideally if you can that's a hard balance i i i would um, tommy and i I agree. I would rather, I rather work with people that come up doing this stuff, but there's a huge window of opportunity of like stuff that gets made for, for them. Like I said, you can be a fucking asshole. If you're really, if you're the best at what you do, then you're, you can be a fucking asshole, which I don't, nobody wants to be an asshole, you know? And, and sometimes there's really good people that are great at what they do. They're not assholes, but Anyway, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say that. I still think everybody should PA. I, all right, all right. I, I think yeah, maybe maybe not. He's, I don't know. Dan's got a good point though, because I've I've botched my own stuff, but I'm like in directing mode, and then I look at the watch and I'm like, ah, they need second lunch, and there's that's where the mind goes. I'm like they gotta eat. It's been almost six hours. I know, and and yeah. and it's it it does. It takes it. It's great. Like it, the the crew loves you, and like you get people to come back and work for you. Um, but I find that the stuff that people are putting on their sites and the reason that people are excited to come back is that really hard shoot that fucking broke their back, but it was like really good. Now, if you're breaking people's back for bullshit, you know, like that sucks. But like if, if what you're doing is like a meaningful, a meaningful advertisement. Well, guys, you're I'm right. almost out of time with you. Uh, if, if you want to be found, where can people find you? You can find, well, you can look at our work at humanaut.is. I think nearly everything, actually, I'm going to go with everything on that site was touched in some regard by Dan or myself. Um, I don't don't need a lot of people following me personally. (laughs) You can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, (laughs) Find me on LinkedIn. At Tommy W. Wilson on Instagram, but you'll only see pictures of my children and and set behind the scene photos from time to time. You can find Dan at Nice Talk Show. <laughs> hey everyone, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode with Tommy and Dan from Humanot. You can find them via the links in the show notes, on social media, and of course, Google. If you have any ideas for future episodes or who you'd like to hear from next, please DM us or leave us a comment on Instagram or Facebook and we will try to make it happen. If you want a shout out in a future episode, please leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks.